Yeah, so um, it's 2 a.m. almost there for you, Mike. 2.30. 2.30. And we're going to talk about some Nazis and rape. Sounds like fun. Yeah. I told you earlier, Chris, I was dreaming about you. So let's just get this out (laughs) of my system. (laughs) Because I was telling Peter, I woke up. I was like, did I podcast tonight? Did I end that and then go to sleep? It's very confused. Hello, and welcome to the Original Remake Podcast, where we discuss and compare an original film and its remake. Hello, and welcome to the Original Remake Podcast, where we discuss and compare an original film and its remake. Ultimately, we seek answers to three questions. Does the remake do justice to the original? And if you just watch the remake, do you get a good sense of why the original was successful or not successful, and thus remade? But most of all, which movie to watch, the original or the remake? (laughs) (laughs) The enthusiasm's there for this i don't think anybody's gonna you know really write in email send a fax about this one just go ahead and i think there's there's three characters you can refer to by their character names and there's the guy who directed the movie that wasn't david fincher right that's a great intro i I think we'll just keep it that way (laughs) um and you think i'm joking so uh no no i'm good with that yeah so yeah, we'll stick with that. Uh, I am Peter, and we found a new host today. Uh, joining us is uh, Mr. Chris Maynard from Falling Films Podcast. Hello. Thank you for doing our introduction. Yes. Oh, sure. Yeah, that, that's what I – you had to bring in me to do all the heavy lifting for <laughs> you tonight, get that kind of uh, real articulate piece out there and introduce this – what's going to be an educational and riveting podcast, I'm sure. Yes, very – I hope you know a lot about Sweden, sir, and their film <laughs> culture. And perhaps the pronunciations, too. Of their uh, names. <laughs> um, okay, well, I guess we'll just kind of dive into it. Uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo. Um, the original, obviously, based on the first of a, 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 a trilogy book, right? So mm-hmm. three. Uh, yeah, until recently. Uh, oh. After his. Uh... Hey, buddy. <laughs> <Kidney. laughs> Or, or our fourth 2:40, guest. Uh, 2.40 a.m. neighbors have to hate you. What is that? <laughs> what are you talking about? I hate that dog. <laughs> well, the neighbors are like, Mike must be podcasting again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you, I think it's appropriate that you named your dog Brody, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, there you go. Um, all right, what was I saying? Uh, fourth book? Okay, yeah, until very recently, like, what, last week? The fourth book was written by another author because uh, uh, Larson passed away, I believe, before the third one even released. And then because he was unmarried, the rights uh, went to his father, I believe, who he did not have a good relationship with. (laughs) And so, uh, yeah, they, you know, the Swedes made a bad deal there as far as not cashing in. When the time was right, because all three books were out before the American version, the David Fincher version came out, and you would think that would be when the fourth book would have trickled out. But yes, or this was, was he smarter? Because no one seemed to really like, for some reason, the Fincher version of it. That was a huge failure. Uh, do you think that happened to 
you know, be their Christmas Day schedule uh, for <laughs> this very dark film. It was an interesting is, Christmas Day release. See, I, I'm surprised by that, Mike. Considering your family history, you know, with The Vanishing, I thought this would be one that you guys got around the fireplace and just curled up. No, and no, 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 no. Shared some Kentucky Christmas. I was <laughs> excited about this all summer long, and I was there, like you know, over the holidays. Like I was trying to get people to go. Um, I don't remember my family being that enthused to go see it, but I do think they, they liked it. And this is one of those movies that I did expect there would be two more. They would, in this day and age, there would be a trilogy come hell or high water. And so I just assumed that kind of like how the fourth book is no longer the original author, that David Fincher would just be fired for being too expensive and that they would maintain Craig and Rooney Mara in the lead roles and pump the next two out with, uh, I don't know who's a cheap director, Chris Columbus or something. I thought <laughs> what? Wow. Uh, see, I thought we were going to, it would go a direction of house of cards where Fincher would stay on as the executive producer of it. And then you get Joel Schumacher to show up for the uh, second and third one. Okay. Yeah. Yours is, yours is better uh, than Chris Columbus, <laughs> but only slightly. <laughs> Chris Columbus well, Joel- is uh, the one responsible for the first two Harry Potters, right? Like the ones that have no style or substance to them. Really. <laughs> Then they brought in a real director. Then they fired him and brought in a hack again. Peter, you look incredibly insulted right no, now. No, Go no, no. And the honor, of her, uh, honor rather, of uh, Chris Columbus. No, no, no. Uh, well, Chris Columbus definitely made me uh, go, like, well, that would be a different movie, but so would the Schumacher. You'd get a lot of um, large cod pieces and bat nipples. That well, that, that's that's one movie. He's done some good work outside of that, and especially the TV work that he's done on House of Cards with uh, – Fincher producing. I think that that would have been a natural fit. Oh, I didn't realize he was doing TV work. He is, yeah. Yeah, very interesting. Oh, I mean, I do like Joel. Some of what's happened to you, buddy? How are you <laughs> slumming it? <laughs> yeah, that, that's really slumming it. It's t- terrible work. Uh, this is way off subject already. But, uh... You know, if Chris Columbus directed, he'd probably have like Hugh Grant playing the lead or something. Like... <laughs> no, that was. Uh... It was bandied about that uh, Sony wanted to get rid of Craig, too, and try to make the sequels without the uh, Mikhail character at all. They just wanted to keep uh, Lisbeth and her adventures, which is uh, – I don't know if either one of you read the or saw the other two films. No, I'm sure you have. Uh, I read the books. I did not uh, – after the first uh, – this is probably a spoiler for this podcast, but after the first Swedish film, I did not continue on with that particular trilogy – uh, but in one of these stories, I believe the third one, uh, Elizabeth is out of commission for most of the, the plot. So it would have been interesting to see how they uh, they handled that, like her continuing her adventures. It's mainly his his story at that point. Um, but yeah, uh, Chris, uh, I didn't really find uh, the Fincher version to be a failure for me personally. But yeah, it did not do as well as they anticipated. I, I blame oh, no. the Christmas release. Yeah, I don't consider the film itself a failure. It was just the idea of the tie-ins that you were talking about, bring on the fourth book at the same time as that. And uh, the idea of that being a stroke of genius to have it come out with then, I think that would have actually hurt the chances And now that they've had some distance from it. And I think the failure of that is probably due to uh, people having the same feeling that I did, which was, why the hell is David Fincher doing a remake? It just didn't make any sense to me um, until I actually rewatched. The original film again. (laughs) Then I saw what David Fincher saw that he could improve upon, and he clearly did. What are some of the the improvements you think that he made? Uh, Pacing, I would say, is probably the key thing that he did. He tightened it the fuck up, which is something weird to say for uh, 
Fincher because his films are definitely deliberately paced and um, some would even say slow. But I, I was far more invested in his version of it, even though I knew exactly where it was going. Um, just the way that he chooses to take you there is far more interesting to look at. I mean, um, the girl with the dragon tattoo, the original version, I think, has more of a made for TV look to it and feel. Um, and I think that it was. <laughs> is, is that us as uh, stupid Americans hating on other uh, cultures, no, 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 maybe? No, no. What, what I'll say is that's us as dumb Americans pumping up anything with subtitles because it was just a dumb action movie and we elevate it because it has subtitles. Are we talking about the Peter. same movie? <laughs> <laughs> Are you fan? Do you like the uh, the Swedish version, Peter? Because I, I am there with Chris. Um, and actually, when the Fincher version came out, it was the third time I, because I I'd read the books and then I watched the first Swedish film about a month before the Fincher one came out. So by the time his version was released, uh, I was well versed in this one particular story, and I still really enjoyed it. So that's kind of it's hats off to uh, what he did with it that I was still engaged after uh, you know reading and watching this story twice over at that point. Um, well, if I had to choose one, it. I, I actually kind of preferred the Swedish version, though I appreciated what uh, Fincher did with you know his version and making uh, some of those differences. I didn't quite understand them as well as you guys did, but I you know kind of get it. Uh, and I like what you guys said about the pacing too for Fincher's uh, version being what at least ten fifteen minutes longer. Yeah, it's a, it is actually longer. Yeah, uh, it, it did, and it doesn't really feel like it either. Uh, even at the end, where I felt like things were moving really fast, I, I still uh, didn't get a sense that this movie was running really long. I didn't realize um, until I was you know reading up on it just for this podcast because I, I didn't do the uh, very time consuming thing for our listeners of going back and reading the original the books again. But uh, you've read the books though. Still, I did. I did. Yeah, at least once years ago. Um, but the Fincher version is actually closer to the the books, and I thought that was strange because it became such a phenomenon. And you would think that uh, you know his countrymen would would honor him more, or as Chris said, it being very much like a TV movie and sort of look and pacing that it would just keep too many of the details. But they actually get rid of uh, a number of the supporting cast in the original, like. Um, the character played by Robin Wright in the the remake, uh, Erica uh, Berger, his lover, and that whole relationship is almost swept under the rug a little bit in the uh, in the first one, and also uh, Mikhail's daughter, who I don't know if it works for either of you all, but they have her in in the remake just enough, and it almost seems like she's there just to give him one clue, whereas in the original, they let Elizabeth uh, solve pretty much everything. Uh, Chris, what do you think about them sort of shoehorning in his, um, I guess, family relations and his sort of weird uh, sexual relationships with uh, with a married woman? Did you feel like it was shoehorned in, or did you feel like it actually fit and supported the story, though? Well, watching both of them together, um, I felt like it fit and was a good decision. If I had just watched the Fincher version for this podcast alone, I would have thought, oh, that's kind of shoehorned in. But but when I when I watched them back to back, I was like that that actually felt nice to not have uh, Lisbeth. I mean, it's kind of a cheat in a way, even though she's a very skilled and talented uh, character, and we we recognize that. But in the original, she just emails him the answers right. to things all the time. So you know, I, I guess it's just how you want to relay the information. But it it 
did feel a little more natural just to have the daughter and him have this sort of this date while he's uh, exiled um, in this sort of murder mystery. And she just happened to, to kind of I just point out like, uh, you know, dad, you've got some weird shit like hanging on your wall. Like, what do you have all those like Bible <laughs> verses? And uh, I, I did like there are a lot of there's going to be a lot of aha moments in, in any type of murder mystery story like this. And uh yeah, they they managed to make it feel feel nat- natural, even though that daughter only has like one scene with her uh, her father. Yeah, I, I didn't feel shoehorned in, I guess. And um, to be perfectly honest about my rewatching of both these films for the podcast, I made it about thirty minutes into the original Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and I was done. It just kept putting me to sleep. I couldn't make it through it. And I was Netflix is currently streaming the. Um, director's cut version and so that's the one that i went to <clears throat> thinking that it might be an improvement over it that they you know somehow it was in the editing the original theatrical cut they dumbed it down for us americans and there's going to be a work of art there you know because i've clearly seen the material elevated when i saw fincher do it so maybe there was something there and no they it's actually a little bit worse than i remembered it um which version of it did you guys watch uh, I watched the the um, the first version uh, also on Netflix. Not not the, the the I think they call it like the trilogy edition or something. The Millennium Trilogy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I I saw that. Um, let's actually get, get into um, one of the things that we kind of discuss on here is like a like a first you know like how did we watch this you know for this I thought I had at least seen one of them. And then after um, watching the original first, I remembered some of the scenes, but I don't remember the ending. Uh, to be honest, I didn't know it was about an investigation about a murder. And so I, I think I tried watching the, the original, like, you know, back in 2011 or maybe early 2012 and just never finished it. So that's kind of, it's kind of like what you're saying. Like, um, again, for this viewing, I made it. Uh, I think in three tries to complete the movie. Wait, and, you, and this is the version you prefer? <laughs> I was about to say. Yeah, it, it, it's really weird. But um, and same. Right. And to be fair, the Fincher, same thing. I, it took me about uh, three tries to finish it. And okay, now 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 we have words. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I just came back from vacation too, so I'm you know my mind was still like shut off. Um, the, I'll put it this way. I had to watch one of them on Netflix. The other one, I just had to go to my stack of Blu-rays and pull one out. Uh, sound like Mike there. You guys own all these movies. <laughs> this is going to sound very strange, but I used to own the entire, uh, Swedish trilogy. Of course you did. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I let my 89 year old grandmother borrow them. <laughs> that uh, sounds like a perfect one for, her. well, you know, you're, you're making fun of my family for this being like the perfect Christmas, Christmas film. And it was a uh, white elephant she, gift. Yeah. Yeah. She had, she had read the books and she, she asked for it. So, so old granny got the trilogy. And so for this podcast, I had to, I think I watched the Swedish version on Hulu. I think it was the normal edition, but did not have access to my blue race, but I did, go through the exhaustive uh, special features as usual on the Fincher version, which uh, to be honest, aren't, aren't that interesting really, unless you just want to see Rooney Mara with a lot of different hairstyles and, uh, you know, photo shoots. Um, I was a little disappointed there, but no, I, I totally agree with Chris that that was the one I was excited to uh, take down off the, the shelf. And, um, even this time around, I watched them in order, uh, of release, so I watched the Swedish version first, and uh, I just could not wait to get to the the Fincher version. And 
I'll go ahead and sound like the dumb American. It's because there's fucking money in it. There's just like, you can <laughs> see the money on screen. And I'm like, okay, so this is like an actual movie. This looks like, you know, they. That, that's the, you could put the same argument for Oberlos Ojos versus Vanilla Sky. And I don't know, know that that necessarily is the case, though. Just because they spend more money on one doesn't mean that it's a superior film. It's that, you have, it's that you have a superior filmmaker behind it. You know, you could have Michael Bayed it and... Yeah. Well, I do think that having more money uh, on the screen makes what is a very dry uh, bit of material for long stretches... Uh, I mean, making it visually interesting. So, yeah, it could have been done, I guess, on the cheap if you had a really enthusiastic filmmaker. Uh, and that's nothing against um, the director who won't be named because we don't know how to say it. Uh, Oplev? I don't know. Um, Let's go with that. But, you know, I'm not familiar with uh, <clears throat> what he's done uh, afterward. Okay, wait, one film, Dead Men Down, which he also did with uh, Numi Rapace, the uh, the lead and the girl, the original girl's dragon tattoo. Um, yeah, I don't even really remember much about that. It had Colin Farrell in it, so uh, I do think that he's uh, he's he's a filmmaker in the sense that he's made films. But... <laughs> wow! Oh, <laughs> not to be condescending or anything, but you know. Clearly, I, I, I mean, it is being a little condescending, but what other than the fact that these were highly successful uh, book series and there was a lot of interest in the, the first film version, I, I found it extremely disingenuous that people were bitching about Fincher doing like a remake of a 2011 film as if, you know, we didn't need another remake when I don't feel like the original did much with material other than present here's a very popular book story. And we had actors recite the lines. I think the only one you can make an argument for as far as uh, being uh, iconic or unique is Numi Rapace, who is – I mean she's the one that clearly went on to have an English uh, acting career. And she is – I think that's the only thing you can really argue with these two as far as um, having a preference. Like I, it wouldn't strike me as completely odd that if someone said they preferred the Numi Rapace uh, version of uh, Lisbeth. Although I myself do not, but I think she's the only one that uh, had sort of a star-making turn. I don't really think you can say that it's like, oh, that that director's going places. I would have no idea who directed this, really. Chris Columbus might have had more style. <laughs> well, and it's it's one of those movies where when you're watching it, it's so easy to get distracted if you're not completely invested in the story because it is this uh, – you know, it's a murder mystery film, and so you have these, you know, sort of comp- complicated, unnecessarily convoluted plot that you have to get through. And if you're not making it look good while you're executing that, you're just going to lose interest in it. And um, unfortunately, for the original version of it, it just doesn't hold up like that. And Fincher has done this thing where he chooses subject matters that I'm not interested in, time and time again. And I have, I just keep thinking, why the fuck is he making this movie? And then I see it and it's brilliant. Uh, the social network. I did not want to see a movie about Facebook. I had no interest in seeing his version of Gone Girl. And every time he does one of these films, they become one of my favorite films of the year. And so he's just, yeah, I, I, at this point, I have to just have complete faith in the guy. Well, his, I think his, you know, filmmaking hero is uh, Pakula. 
is actually how you say his name the from the the parallax view chris that you introduced right. me to on the war machine versus war horse which you can follow on twitter at war machine horse and check out on followingfilms.com like a fucking professional <laughs> did you um, see that <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm gonna get my shots in um <laughs> But, you know, I was thinking about some of the choices that he made, and clearly he made thrillers like uh, Parallax View, which we talked about on that show, and then he would do something like All the President's Men, which is just two reporters talking uh, in the office, talking in a parking garage with an informant, going to Florida and talking to, to more sources, and he manages to make that extremely tense. That's that was yeah. my biggest difference with this one is, and that's why I like seeing the money on the screen. Is but, but you don't see money on the screen when you're looking at all the president's men. Um, that's it's that's performance, uh, sir. And that's what, what do you think Robert Redford is? That is that is money <laughs> on the screen. That smile is money. <laughs> Does he smile uh, in the movie? I actually don't know if he smiles. Uh, that that may knock it down from classic status if he doesn't you know turn and smile, but. Well, I, I think that just in those phone conversations, there's a a visual idea of how to make this conversation interesting that um, I don't think is shared in the original Girls Dragon Tattoo. Um, Fincher will do things like, you know, even when Elizabeth is on the road, like this stuck out to me as the biggest sort of like dumb American way of like spending money. There's a train that interrupts her, her thought. And it's just meant to jolt the audience as it sort of jolts her. And I was like, there it is. There's the fucking money. Thank God for that. Thank, thank God for that unnecessary train that comes in. And it's just because Fincher could. Uh, and clearly, you know, he spent too much money because he probably won't be back for the sequels. But I, I think that, as you said, you can get lost in the information you need for it to have some of those thrills along the way. And I don't feel like the original one has any particular thrills. Even in the... Uh, the sequence where uh, Bloomquist is attacked uh, mm-hmm. by the uh, the gunman on the uh, over the grassy knoll or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the the original version, you see like a a gun and like a hand coming around the tree. It's like <laughs> they're like, here it is. He's you know, there's the shooter. And in the Fincher version, you just you don't know where the shots are coming from. You you stay with. Daniel Craig. And so to me, it's, it's more effective and you're in his shoes as far as being completely paranoid, as far as where, where are these shots coming from? Um, they, they later try to convince him that maybe it was an accident. Maybe a hunter thought he was an animal, some, you know, a very James Bondian looking animal that was like stalking the property. But, uh, yeah, I, that was one of the moments where I was like, look how stupid the original looks like they don't. That's unfair though. To, to in a way, if you have one of the, to compare the two, when you have David Fincher, <laughs> hey, 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 hey. when you have David of Fincher here, going back and looking and remaking your material, you took a swing at it, and he goes, "Oh, I can do that better." He could probably do that better than most films. He could take a swing at it and improve on almost everything, uh, especially in this type of genre. I still hold that Chris Columbus would not have done that stupid gunman scene like that. <laughs> If if I was more familiar with his work, um, did did he do Junior? Was that one of his? I don't think so. That's a that's a deep pull, sir. That's true. <laughs> he did nine months. Okay, close enough. Home Alone. That was that was uh, Ivan Reitman, sir. How dare okay. you drag him down to Chris Columbus status? <laughs> 
<laughs> Ivan Reitman dragged himself down to that status. Jeez. <laughs> you're getting on to me to taking a shot at the guy we can't even name from the girl with the dragon tattoo. <laughs> now you're, you're taking a shot at the guy who uh, produced Ghostbusters? Yeah, oh. produced. <laughs> <laughs> but, he, but, but didn't he direct that um, Kevin Costner football movie that was out last year? Uh, draft day. There you go. Uh, yeah, that wasn't wasn't so. He's old, man. He's old. <laughs> he also directed Ghostbusters as well. His his hands are he's stripes, meatballs. He yeah, had some good time. Stripes is garbage. Meatballs pretty much unwatchable. Jesus, there's okay. Never mind. There's no hope for you, <laughs> Peter. <laughs> give us give us your your insight on stripes or meatballs, or um, the girl with the dragon tattoo. Meat, meatballs. Isn't there without, some kind of alien referencing in soapy boobs? Without saying. <laughs> Uh, well, stripes. Um, Chris just can't stop. Can't stop being around these comedy directors. You know, stripes was kind of like Full Metal Jacket, where it's kind of two different movies. <laughs> you know, and yeah, one that I enjoyed, and then there was that one that took place in the RV, and that that yeah. movie's unforgivable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, two completely different movies. I mean, Kindergarten Cop. Can we all agree on that one? I like uh, it. I, I, I'll go ahead and take uh, films that were made in Astoria, Washington. I'll go for the Goonies. Oregon. Oh, I mean, Oregon. Sorry. Okay. My fault. <laughs> it's Astoria, though, right? It is Astoria. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the girl with the dragon tattoo. Bunch of bullshit. She's Come not on, from Astoria. Film, right? <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> She's, this is a girl from Australia, if that's what you mean. Also a difference, Peter. Thank you for getting us back on track. And totally unnecessary in the uh, in the third act. You know, in both versions of the story, I forget. There's like a half hour to go after we uh, apprehend or slash kill the uh, the the murderer in both both versions, which I guess is a little bit different from the, the Elizabeth character. Uh, and I'll, before we totally get into what they do with uh, Anita's character, what did you all think about how Elizabeth? Um, handles the uh the murderer at the very the end of both films because they're slightly different let me see which which i i kind of like the the original version of that better i just i don't know when she when mara you know what's with those eyebrows why are they bleached (laughs) (laughs) i i couldn't get past that because you Peter know, really would not have liked the blu-ray because there's like an entire 10 to 15 minute feature on just her eyebrows is is there something really deep that I don't understand about the bleached eyebrows? Uh, there's something very practical about it, and that they wanted her to have uh, shaved uh, eyebrows, which I don't remember if that's how she was in the book. Uh, but they really were <laughs> afraid of uh, actually having to shave them over like a year of like filming on and off. And so bleaching them uh, was just easier than constantly having to deal with like little stubble coming back in. But I, I don't know. It just gives her a more uh, sort of alien uh, appearance, I guess. It's it's off putting certainly when no one has uh, when they don't have eyebrows. I mean, Whoopi Goldberg's the only other person I know without eyebrows. That takes some getting used to. Too. <laughs> I, have no, I have I have no comment. I, I, don't, uh, I don't know. Does she not have eyebrows? No, she does not. I'll take your word on it. Yeah. Um, but anyway. I'm just thinking of that, that Simpsons uh, scene where there's the uh, the well that people go and throw dead bodies in for things they don't want. And uh, they have this side character go up and 
say, I was a fool to think anyone would pay for uh, nude photos of Whoopi Goldberg, and he throws them in the well where everything disappears, and then the well throws it back at him. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, Peter. She does not have eyebrows. I never realized that. But, uh, yeah, Whoopi Goldberg as the, the girl with the dragon tattoo. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm, I'm on board with this. I'm, I'm interested. Directed by so right. you, so wait, you look at her, and your immediate comparison is Whoopi Goldberg. No eyebrows. <laughs> um, Dear God, I do think Numi uh, uh, Rapace there is is prettier, um, and it just made me feel. Oh, I just believed Michael's character to uh, you know accept it more when they have their little you know one minute man session. Um, just I don't know, man. Those eyebrows, lack of it. I liked <clears throat> Numi Rapace's performance, but. <clears throat> I do feel like she's. I don't want to say miscast because I don't know what the, uh, you know, the top tier stars are in the Swedish film industry. But <laughs> uh, <clears throat> she did not look how I imagined the character did from the books. As far as uh, she looked like one that was ten years older than the character in the books. Like she looks like a grown woman. Where I do think Rooney Mara looks like a little girl. That was supposed to be part of what was so off-putting about her in the the book series is that. She looks like someone that could be, you know, 14 to, you know, 24. And she's very petite. She's tiny and almost alien-like. And mm. Numir Pace just looked like a woman in her late 20s who, you know, dresses goth or, or punk, or dyes her hair and puts on some piercings. Like there's – to me, like, yeah, it's different than your average, I guess, you know, woman walking around. But it's also not someone that – uh, that looks like another, you know, creature entirely, and I think that that goes along with the eyebrows and just what they did with, with Rooney Mara. That she, she does look a little otherworldly uh, at times, and I think that that plays into the strength of the character when you do have it uh, cast as this woman who's significantly younger than everyone that she's dealing with in this world. All these people that are twenty, thirty years older than her, and she's outsmarting them at all these different turns, and it's what's so impressive about that character. And I think the age does play a part in that. And when you do have an older woman in that role, it can feel like, Oh, this is just a phase she's going through. You know, shit got weird at home after a couple of years. Now she decided to you know, put on a mohawk for a little while. This is a woman with some world experience. And so when she's doing these things, it's impressive, but not as impressive when it's someone that's younger. I also think that they give her, and I don't know if this is just the American viewpoint, uh, they they toughen her up in a way, or she's a little more proactive in how she yeah. handles her business. Um, after the, the, the rape sequence, which I don't think we really need to get into because it's uh, pretty similar in, in both films. Um, but there's uh, another confrontation uh, afterwards uh, where she has uh, had revenge on her her attacker and meets uh, in the elevator in the uh, – mm-hmm. The, the American version and she seems she seems like once that happens that she's going to like settle the score which plays into the ending as well like I mean she has a gun obviously in the the American uh, version of this and in the the end of the Swedish version she just allows nature to take its course with the killer she just allows him to burn she just chooses not to save him very very Batman from Batman Begins like there but um <laughs> <laughs> hey buddy, hashtag this Batman. Let's get these let's get these numbers up. 
uh, I actually, you know, I, I was talking a little bit about how the uh, the remake was a little more natural when you brought in some supporting characters like the daughter to kind of give at least one clue to our male protagonist. I felt like the ending of the Swedish film, as far as how they handle uh, the killer, they handle uh, Martin fit a little bit better than her with the gun. Understand why they made that decision. Uh, but she doesn't really, she's made a choice to kill him in the Fincher version. Uh, but then nature takes a course in a much quicker way. So after you've seen what this guy's done, I sort of, I thought that the, uh, the vengeance was better served in the Swedish version by watching him slowly burn and sort of beg for her assistance. Whereas it's over really quick in the, the American version. Well, I think in the American version, they nailed uh, the scenes of tension before that and the escape so well that when it comes down to the ending that it to pull off that sort of double crescendo, it just doesn't work. And I think that having that sort of quick ending is more appropriate for the rest of the film. Do you like uh, that she asks for uh, Mikhail's permission to kill him in the venture version? I think it's appropriate for her character. It feels right. Um, I, I I think that there's so many elements to her where you're dismissive of her in a way um, because she is younger, because she's this you know odd-looking person, um, perhaps even for some people because she's a female, so you don't see her as much of a threat. And then when she becomes this unleashed sort of uh, pit bull in a way, and it's she, this animal side that takes over and she's asking for permission in that moment. That's just – I don't know how it works for the character necessarily um, in the rest of it. But I liked it as a beat in the film when she's taking that moment to do that. The Yeah, go do it. That, that second of like hesitation, am I allowed to do this? It's really effective. And it, it might just be a dumb trick and it's kind of the popcorn moment of the movie. But I'm – I'm a dumb person, so it works for me. No, well, I'm the dumb person. Like, <laughs> like you guys are explaining why you like certain things. I can't do that. I, I just go. I I like this ending better. <laughs> um, the back to the daughter. I keep wanting to kind of uh, go back to that because now, Chris, did you read the book? At least the first one. No, no, no okay, no. Not, not at all. Because I'm I'm wondering because you guys both have uh, pretty similar choices and ideas about, about the movie, and like for me. I was thinking, well, maybe I'm because I haven't read the book, you know, and I I wonder, Mike, if that kind of what's the word not affect your like decision or way of thinking because you you've read the book, you know, to uh, side with uh, Fincher's movie a little bit more, um, but the the daughter because in the Swedish version they don't really uh, play up the daughter, and you know I I get why she was introduced more in the um, in the remake to explain the Bible stuff because she goes to Bible college or something. Yeah, so I get that. But then I, I felt that it took a little bit away from uh, Lisbeth, which, you know, from the little I know about the, the stories that she's, you know, a super hacker. And I kind of I liked that she had, you know, most of the information. And then this plague character that we never uh, get to meet or whatever, that she had a little circle that she worked with. Whereas in the remake, it was just... It she just didn't come off as that super hackery to me. I think they. Um, I mean, there's there's definitely changes as far as I, I said that the Fincher version is closer to the books, um, which they 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 go off in a different direction with how they handle the the ending. But 
uh, I, I liked it because I felt like not only is it incorporating characters that are in the book, but it gives you a better idea of how uh, Bloomquist sees the world and what he, he's dealing with characters. I mean, the original title of the book was Men Who Hate Women, uh, which is extremely on the nose. Um, but that's, I mean, that's who he's after. That's that's this string of murders and this family he's dealing with uh, are extremely, you know, misogynistic would be the polite way to put it. And then you have two in particular characters, a father and son, who have gone off and tortured and killed women for decades. So I thought it was important to have the daughter there and Robin Wright's character, his uh, girlfriend, because they're very complicated relationships with women. Um, obviously, he's had a child with a woman and they're no longer together. But And he's he's got a, a world where he's been exiled and is facing prison, but he still makes time to be with his daughter. And also, in the Fincher version, Bloomquist is, is played as a, a, I think Fincher called him repeatedly, a bimbo. He's a, a male bimbo. Yeah. Like he's kind of kind of like the, the, the good-looking <laughs> dumb blonde. And so I like that it's not just Lisbeth. It's not just one woman that's smarter than him. It's that he's surrounded and has chosen to surround himself with women who are smarter than him. And he's comfortable with that. And he's comfortable in his own skin. I, I didn't get that impression from the Swedish version. I just felt like he was a very he was just a dullard. I just felt like he was a very boring character. And it's like, oh, he's exiled here because that's what the uh, story dictates. Uh, so I liked incorporating and seeing how uh, Daniel Craig sort of reacts to strong women uh, around him, and that's that's clearly different than the uh, antagonist of the story uh, played by uh, Skarsgård. Mm. So I, I think it fits better with the themes of what they're what the original was going for the original books. We need to start a podcast saying, um, title it, you know, explaining to Peter, because <laughs> I <laughs> I actually prefer um, almost everybody as far as uh, their their acting in the Swedish version uh, versus their American counterparts. I just I I just like to have and you hate better. America too. <laughs> yeah. You hate Peter, women and you I, hate I, Americans. Hey, sir, I, I served this. nine and a half years. <laughs> America. Okay. I, I, I would love to crawl inside your brain and watch the movie that you saw, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I don't know that that movie exists. Right? It's just it's on every performance. Pretty much um, is better, I think, in the American version. It's not, and I, I don't think that that's necessarily a putting down the original. It's mm -hmm. just that there's a far more professional cast um, all the way through. And I think it's a more tightly written script. They had a better director to work with. So it's not even necessarily the actors themselves, but the, maybe the material they're working with the person who was helming it. I'm not sure, but it's, I, it's so more, much more dynamic. All the characters, even though uh, as the original title of this was men who hate women, um, it's far more interesting than just that one note. And it seems like the um, Swedish version, that's all it's offering. And all the characters, even the ones that are dreadful uh, through and through, they have moments of humanity to some degree where you can see some – it's not just mustache twirling. It's There's depth to all the characters, and mm -hmm. I appreciate that about it. It's interesting you bring that up, Chris, because I was reading – I was doing a little cheat sheet like before, right before we get on because it is – 3.17 a.m. here in Kentucky time. So I was like, all right, I need to refresh this because I, I watched these a few weeks ago. And one of the complaints uh, from a fan of just the series uh, books and both films was they preferred the uh, the, the, the rapist 
the the guardian that Elizabeth has in the original because they didn't like that in the Fincher version that once she turns the tables on him that he shows so much fear of her. Yeah. And they felt like he was more he was a better villain in that way in the original, which I I, I didn't like that at all. Like I, I think he's obviously he's still a, a fucking villain given what he, he he rapes her and then yeah. to express fear at her having control over him. I don't make that think that makes him less villainous. I think it, it makes him more of a real person who has done extremely horrible things, which to me is more terrifying than someone who just has like a, an evil switch constantly, no matter what he's facing. Okay, what the hell is going on? Why are we agreeing on every point on a movie, Mike? Something's it's way been too off long here. since we podcasted. That's what it is. So <laughs> okay. We're not in fighting shape. There's a little bit of a paunch, a little bit of a gut we've got on us. <laughs> we're fat and happy. So I just have no, the unpopular I, I, opinion, so you guys have to agree on something. <laughs> well, I mean, I think he's absolutely right that when you, if you have somebody that's completely one dimensional as a villain, it doesn't feel like that villain is based in any reality therefore they're not intimidating they're not scary they're just oh this is and it actually i think it downplays the idea of rape um when you make that a character that's so not based in reality it takes away from the disgusting nature of what that character was doing you need to show him groveling and having human emotions or even having a life outside of that and showing that there was humanity in this person it makes it all the more terrifying and shows how much more disturbing that this act really was um, when you make it this thing that seems like something from a Batman villain. Um, yeah. It's easy to put like, you know, the big V on the chest for him, but it takes away from the act. Does, do you, does that make sense? To it you, does. Peter? Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And um, do you think that maybe in the Swedish version that they were trying to um, distract perhaps uh, the act of the rape by, I don't know if you guys got this, but I took uh, it, it seemed a little comical after the rape scene where she's kind of waddling, you know, because she's in so much pain. Did... No, that wasn't funny. Okay, because <laughs> no, not not at all. Okay. I, actually, I let me see, not that in particular, but the waddle. I, no, no, the uh, after the first, um, she's forced to perform oral sex on on her new guardian. Um, I, I actually did find that response like to her a little uh a little funny and that it cuts to the scene which they don't they don't replicate in the Fincher version and he talked about in the commentary it being such a striking image that he he liked so much that he didn't want to he didn't want to do it again he wanted to leave that in the Swedish version she's cleaning her mouth out <clears throat> with just soap that you just get out of the dispenser in the the bathroom right. at the sink and it's it's sort of a like ridiculous notion as far as this horrible violation uh, that has been brought upon her that she's – it's childlike in a way that she's just cleaning her mouth out with soap. But I, you know, if you remove what has just happened, like that image is kind of silly and kind of goofy, which I actually thought that – and I, this is the one element that I think is much better than the uh, what they did in the American version is it's – it's an image that is very haunting that she's sort of reverting back. Like that is really the only thing she can do is just shove soap in her mouth. And clearly it's not going to sort of help in any way, but like she's still so practical in the way she handles things. So I did find that to be this mixture of like, Oh, that's kind of a silly uh, image, but it's also, you know, it's horrific when you're thinking about what has just transpired. I, I don't okay. 
haunting, horrific, yes, silly, goofy. I, I can't get on board with that. <laughs> I just I just find because that you know it, you have to take it in the juxtaposition of what just happened. This scene doesn't exist by itself. If it's just a woman putting soap in her mouth and it's like a music video and it's just this one little clip, okay, sure. That's a goofy image. But you just saw this woman being forced to give head to this right. caregiver and it's a terrible violation. So no, I it's that she's reverting back to that, to that, as you said, that childhood mm-hmm. kind of imagery. It's, it's not funny. It's terribly distressing to see that. Actually. I, thought it was, I thought it was a mixture of both. I, I did. I thought it was, you know, I, like a Christmas story, like washing her mouth out with soap, but it's, it's put in this, this context where it's, look, uh, I don't know how they do time. Christmases around your house. <laughs> We've gone into that way too many times. <laughs> I have to disagree with you one time and I have to, I have to agree with Peter that like when I, when I saw that, I thought it was, you know, it was just a, just an odd thing that I was, I was watching and, uh, an odd choice. I don't remember if that's in the book, but I did feel like that was one element I thought Fincher got wrong. Like I, I think that it, it adds something to have the Elizabeth's character react that way that makes it sort of uniquely hers. And I think in the American version, she just, uh, she just goes in there and like vomits or something. But uh, I understand why he did it because he felt like that was just sort of Numi's thing. And I don't remember if he said that she came up with that on the set, Numi Rapace. Um, but it, it's you know it's an image that I won't be able to get out of my head. So that that is the only thing I might remember about the uh, the original version, the Swedish film. But well, I think you should take a a Big Bang Theory edit of that and kind of put in the laugh track during that moment and see how that one plays. <laughs> See, me, me and Peter were were looking horrible there, and now you decided to join in. You decided to dive into the pool with us, like, "Hey, let's add a, a laugh track there." But I tried to explain myself, Chris. I tried to I tried to uh, to talk around it as much as possible. But yeah, it's it's kind of a funny, funny, funny image. But the um, context pretty terrible. I, I wanted to ask you guys the, because uh, here's one of the differences in the movies, but the the remake. Um, Michael has a is it Mikael? Mikael, yeah. Oh, uh, what's the Swedish guy's name? Michael. It's just Mikael. They're, they're both yeah. Mikael. Okay, I keep saying Michael. Um, obviously, you're on my mind or something. I should be Peter. Yes, at all times. <laughs> um, is it, well, damn, you made me lose my train of thought. Oh, the a cat. <laughs> the remake has a cat. They they give him basically a pet. Um, see, so I watched the remake. Uh, second, and when I saw the cat, I go, "Well, he's obviously gonna die." There's, I, I felt that was the only reason that they had the cat in there. What, what are your guys' um, thoughts about adding the cat in the remake? It's more money on the screen. It's you know we've we've got a trained pet, trained animal here, which <clears throat> I would love to see a short film of Fincher, who's known for doing take after take with trained actors who can. <laughs> think and speak trying to get a cat to go to the exact mark that he wants in his head uh but in the in the commentary he said that the cat was wonderful so i I guess you know fincher uh you know this was like scorsese and de niro he he met his match and this this cat did everything perfectly for him to me it's just you know watching the film is to give the uh bloomquist characters something to bounce off of something visually moving around uh, that he can interact with even briefly while he's mostly staring at a computer screen or books. And yet again, it's just a, like a little visual piece of flair that's in the uh, American version that's not in the Swedish film. 
it's kind of if you I, I don't know why it comes to mind, but um, if you've ever read the John Grisham book, uh, the the firm, and then seen the film, and you see how they handled the ending of it, it's the ending of the book is essentially just xeroxing, and so you have to change that to make that work for film, um, and you know you need to have a big chase scene at the end. But I think Fincher shows a way of doing handling something that could come across as very boring visually and those little touches of movement really or the train as before anything that you have like that that just um he doesn't allow for these still moments for very long and it keeps you engaged even if it's on a subconscious level it's something that you're you there's movement and there's thought going into it all the time it keeps you actively engaged in the film because you're not sure where something's coming from next okay this this question here is completely off subject but during... Is this about Junior? No. Stripes? <laughs> that, actually, well, that, that would still be not really off topic because we <laughs> brought it up. But have you guys ever like re- recorded during a podcast and then you get some weird message? Uh, <laughs> you, you know, I just got one from Muffins, <laughs> Muffins Boo 81. <laughs> well, I, I think Peter needs to go. He has uh, clearly a more engaging conversation to enter into at this point. <laughs> Because Muffins Boo eighty one has some shit to talk about. <laughs> Perhaps she wants to chime in and and you know agree with me, so it could be a two and two here. Well, I, you know, may, if you're on Skype shirtless all the time, that might be why <laughs> Muffins Boo is looking you up. <laughs> it, it could be uh, Elizabeth uh, hacking my uh, camera here. We probably did a disservice to whatever listeners we have by not having a female presence on the show, which is about uh, men who who hate women and uh what has become a pretty iconic sort of female hero in, in pop culture. Uh, but, uh, Chris, uh, you, Oh, go, Oh, there you go. You're here uh, to provide the, the feminine mystique to this, this show. Um, okay. Th- th- thank you for that. <laughs> or we can just, you know, we can just drop in boo muffin 72 <laughs> or whatever. Um, okay. Is, well, I guess one way, which do you think is more of the feminist story? Between the two films, the Fincher one, I think. I think the Fincher one is more Lisbeth's story um, than in the original. I feel like uh, even with all the added stuff with uh, Bloomquist, uh, I didn't remember that the Swedish version gets rid of her guardian as well. I mean, it's just briefly there in the Fincher version, right? But you know, in the the first film, it's just like she gets a phone call like, hey, you've got someone else who's in charge of you now. And that's it. And there's nothing as far as like – it's just like an inconvenience more so than it is she actually had a relationship with uh, this man uh, prior. And we, we get very – it humanizes her in a way that I don't think the Swedish version does. Um, like the, clearly there's there's allusions to what they're going to do in the uh, the, the sequels. And I think that, thankfully, the uh, Fincher version was a little more closed off, and so they gave her some relationships that we can uh, we can see and sort of go with her on in this film without having to wait to watch the second, third one, like in the, the Swedish film. What do you think, Peter? Which one uh, represents women better? Represents women. I mean, I the only scene I could think of off the bat that um, I think played it differently that I feel... Uh, the Swedish version has the upper hand in is when she gets mugged because she takes on like like a few guys, right? Whereas the I think yeah. the remake, yeah. you know, one guy runs off with her purse or her her bag, 
I think with the computer in it, and she just gets it back and then and then runs off. So she doesn't really like confront him. So I felt in that you know comparing the two scenes there that the sweet Swedish version um, she's a little bit more stronger in that sense. I, I is it that she's more stronger or that it? I, I think that that's when I look at the Swedish version, it seems like kind of a. I was describing it as like this empty action film before, hmm. like a made for TV action movie. And I think that's why it seems like that where it becomes it's in the Swedish version. Yeah. She's the super hacker. She's taking on five guys um, that are trying to mug her. Those kinds of moments that um, they, they can be a, on some level empowering, I guess on a certain level, but when they're not backed up with humanity, they don't mean anything. And I think by allowing this character to have both strength and weaknesses and to be more dynamic. It's a far more empowering film hmm. because when it's based in humanity, it's more effective and it has a deeper impact. Yeah. There's just more, I think in the Swedish version, she's just like just a freak. She's just sort of like a, <laughs> like she's played as like, you know, the, the, you know, just the girl who, with the dragon tattoo who comes in and just has all the answers and, isn't she so quirky and strange? And um, even her relationship in the Fincher version with uh, her boss at the security firm, like they show you that there are people who accept her and care about her. And so it's not just Bloomquist, like in the original, who like our hero, like learns to care for her. And mm -hmm. it's that there are already established relationships with people who, who understand her in a way and respect her. And I, I like that better in the Fincher version. And, by the way, the fact that we keep going back to Fincher was the one who showed us humanity shows how fucking cold that Swedish movie was. Because, <laughs> dear God, <laughs> Fincher is not known for making warm and fuzzy, you know, sort of, I don't know. These characters are always very cold and unrelatable. Right. And But when you put it next to uh, this little Swedish film, it, it somehow feels more grounded, which is strange to say. Let's get to the, uh, the the ending because I think it's I think it's problematic in both films. Uh, I do think that Fincher attempted to find a way to streamline it as much as he could, uh, but there's there's a, about a half hour, like give or take a few minutes, uh, after uh, Martin is uh, vanquished, and there mm -hmm. there are different ways where uh, you know the the original uh, reason for this investigation is to find out what happened to. Um, Harriet. So, um, which version did you all prefer? The the Swedish version is actually more true to the books, as far as her under an assumed identity with the help of her her cousin living in Australia, and then in the Fincher version, she is just actually taken on um, her cousin Anita's identity, and we've already met her prior in the film, played by Julie Richardson. We'll uh, give it to our guest first. Oh, um, well, I. Kind of all the way down the line, it's I prefer the Fincher version of it. I the way that I think they handle the betrayal in the end is far more effective for me. It's um, it, I don't know if it's in the performance. It's just I think that little quiet moment before she decides to leave is really kind of a, the the final note of the film for me. The that's where it kind of just ends, and that's the thing that pushes her away. And it was sort of her, I to show that this guy that you know she i think was gaining this respect for and that he was 
you know, not what she thought he was. And I, I really appreciate that, that about that moment that it had that impact that really felt why she was moving in this direction. Um, and, and I don't know why, but the, the Swedish film just didn't have that same sort of ending note for me where I was interested to see where she went on from here. I wanted to see how she started to build her life at this moment from that sort of piece forward to where she would go on and how that would reconnect again and how they would have whatever, however their lives would intertwine again, how that would play out. And unfortunately I'm not going to be able to see that because I assume that Fincher won't be making these next two films. Uh, let's see. I preferred the uh, the ending of the <laughs> Swedish version. What what happened? Australia, <laughs> of course. You're going to Australia. Yeah, uh, the uh, down under <clears throat> pun intended. <laughs> now, the I guess the only reason that I just liked the ending better in the in the Swedish version is just because the I felt the reveal was was a little bit better in the Swedish version, and then so when he goes to. Australia to bring her back, the reuniting with her and her uncle. I, I just, I, I thought that was more, I don't want to say more realistic, you know, just, I just like that better. It just, I don't know, felt a little bit more organic. Whereas the other one, it just, it, it didn't seem like, did, did you really want him to find your niece? Because it just, I don't know. I, I, I didn't, I didn't buy it, I guess. I like, I think I liked it more just because I really like Craig's interpretation as just the, the bimbo. Uh, and that he, in the end, he thinks he knows, like that she's going to reveal some information because they, right. they bring back plague, and then he's just sort of like staring at their little monitors and waiting for her to get on her computer and reveal, you know, where Harriet is, and he's just like, huh, I thought that would have worked, and like still doesn't have it. He still doesn't know, uh, and I, I like that one little comedic beat that it, you know, it's rare that our our male lead who has been charged to, to head up an investigation in a murder mystery is the one who's uh, always a step behind. And one thing I actually kicking myself for not bringing up that I love about the Fincher version is even when he has the pieces in place, they have this great moment with him and Stellan Skarsgård where he accepts the invitation to come inside <laughs> his house and he yeah. knows he's the killer, but he just like doesn't know how to handle this you know, extremely odd social interaction of like he, he wouldn't want to be rude. Yeah, how do I turn down the serial killer who's invited me into his home and he's been nice to me before? So maybe I can just have a drink and just excuse myself afterwards. I don't want to be rude. Which all, that that entire sort of line of thinking is not present in the the original at all. Um, so yeah, even I, I just keep harping on it. I told Peter in advance this is going to be a terrible episode for me because. I've never on this show felt so strongly like it's clearly this movie. The other one's junk. The other one's crap. But this is one where it's like the more I think about it every time, I'm like, oh, I love that in the Fincher version. Oh, that's not in the Swedish version at all. So it, it's not that it's junk. It's that it's being compared to something that's just so much better. Um, it would be like if you went back and found out there was a made for TV version of Taxi Driver that had originally come out that you just weren't aware of. And so if you were to go back and, you know, a kid now, a 15-year-old kid goes out and, you know, he's getting into Fincher films and he ends up seeing The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo before he sees a Swedish one. If he sees that film first and then watches a Swedish one, I can't imagine that that'll hold up for him. Um, I think because we we have a tendency to like the person who took us to the dance the first time. We would whoever got us there first. That's the one that we'll tend to side with a lot of the time. And it's hard to see the cover band as being the one who got it right. But, you know, some, sometimes that's the case. 
Chris, I think you led us into our uh, questions there, so we can. Th- thankfully, you're here to host us and uh, wrap up our show. <laughs> Lord knows, I haven't said anything. Uh, <laughs> Uh, except, you know, we just keep, I guess, telling Peter how wrong he is for, for <laughs> siding with America. Sorry, Peter. It's okay. <laughs> um, all right. So I think I knew I, before we even got into it that I was going to lose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so our, our three questions we normally ask uh, Chris, and uh, I think you just started to touch on there, is uh, does the remake do justice to the original film? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, to say the least. <laughs> and as you were talking about this imaginary, uh, you know, fifteen-year-old, if that kid just watched the remake, would he get a good sense of why the original was successful and thus remade? Um, oh, that's actually a good question. Um, I think that yeah, you could. A fifteen-year-old discovers this movie on its own, could possibly see the idea of the story being interesting. Um, if they made it through, if they started this at three o'clock in the afternoon, as opposed to midnight, you know, maybe made it through the entire film, they could stay on board and say, you know, that's a good idea. Something that could be done in a better way. Cause it is a, it's an interesting story and there's definitely moments in the original version that are well executed. It's just so much better in the venture version. And lastly, and uh, an even more fascinating question, if you have to watch just one, which one do you pick the original or the remake? Oh, oh, well, obviously the original, as you can tell. Yes, mm-hmm. that's Clearly. two. You've been building to that, that <laughs> twist ending, I can tell. That, that's my own uh, Shyamalan version there. Didn't see it uh, coming. We, we appreciate as much as we do any new Shyamalan film, Chris. Uh, as well, well-placed twist there. Um, you, you know, with that new, just a side note there, that movie, it comes out in two days from now, and there's not one review online yet. That's funny, because I think it was supposed to... I think they screened it uh, tonight, actually, for critics. Mm-hmm. I think it was uh, – so I was actually surprised by that, that. I figured that would be one that you just – you know, you don't let the critics get their hands on. But uh, I guess they've got 48 hours to, to get the knives out on that one. What, what movie is this? The Visit. New M. Night movie, horror, comedy. It's, it's actually better, uh, found Peter, footage. if you've totally ignored it. That's fine. It's a, it, it looks like his rift, uh, our riff on, oh, God, would it be like Hansel and Gretel to some degree, I guess? Right, right. With a uh, you know, found footage kind of look to it. Yeah. Um, so I think that wraps our show before we get into M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, <laughs> Chris, uh, tell people where they can find you uh, co-hosting War Machine vs. War Horse. You, you uh, can find me co-hosting <laughs> War Machine versus War Horse on followingfilms.com. And of course also your your own podcast, which is the you know, the reason we, we have you on, I think. I think. Yeah. <laughs> because of my own podcast? No. Uh yeah, yeah. just following films. <laughs> it would Odd, be it would be it? rude of me for to, to ask a guest on, hey, come on and pimp uh something I'm involved with, please. Well, even uh, okay. The the idea it's the cross promoting for one another is I, I'm all about it. I think it's great that we do this for each other, but it always sounds kind of silly when we're all cross promoting from the same place to some degree. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've not heard enough about this followingfilms.com myself. <laughs> <laughs> How you spell that? I think it's time for me and Peter to promote our shows, uh, which can, can um, also be found on followingfilms.com. <laughs> you can check out my show. It's at uh, wtfpod.com. <laughs> He's on next week. We got Marion on next week. <laughs> We're going to be talking the longest yard with Marion. 
What a great poll. <laughs> I would actually love to hear Marin talk for an hour and a half about Burt Reynolds. I we would totally let him too. We'd just be like, yeah, you just. Uh, so wait, are you, are you guys actually doing that as an episode? Yeah, that's our next one, actually. Really? Hmm? Okay. And I've never seen the original. I've only seen the Adam Sandler version. So I've only seen the original. Never seen uh, the Adam Sandler version. Uh, I think I have, you know, something a nice present waiting for me. Not so much for you. I think you, you made a, a wise choice in your use to avoid that one. But yeah, I'm excited to see the Burt Reynolds one. You, you forget how old I am. I mean, that came out when I was in college. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I forgot you were running around with old Bert. <laughs> <laughs> Probably had the mustache too. <laughs> how dare you, sir? Uh, I think that'll I think that'll do it. Uh, Chris, thanks for uh, hanging with me while I, sure. while I, I slept and <laughs> thank my wife for letting me come out here. <laughs> You're doing what? <laughs> Got to talk about the girl with the dragon tattoo. Mike just woke up with a fever dream. He just has to talk to me. <laughs> I, I reassured her that you were you were joking about the uh, dream of podcasting. So as to not. Oh, okay. All right. I'll let nope, her know. I was not. <laughs> I get level four at each other podcast. <laughs> After seeing it, I was kind of pissed, like that they didn't stick with their original date because I would love to have been able to talk about it on the show. That was also one that I had Chuck and Buck on for that one. Oh shit! So really? Yeah. All right, I think we should do that. <laughs> I, I need to talk about some suck and fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I take it you haven't seen Chuck and Buck, Peter? No, I actually I thought that was another podcast. <laughs> suck and fuck? I, no, the Chuck. <laughs> Can... No, that's just one of your Skype friends. Oh, <laughs> right. Oh, <laughs> uh, so well, Peter, you're doing the edit on this one. I so much to be back in after the music plays. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know what to choose. <laughs> I might just let the whole thing run. I, mean, I don't know. I, I, actually, I think that's the intro. Get, get some balls. <laughs> Start that way. <laughs> <laughs>